From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets, and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the boat, with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they left their nets and followed him. Uh, part of the task that we have at Parkway Baptist Church, the Lord Jesus Christ has given it to us, is make disciples. And out of this congregation, there have gone many into the ministry. I had uh, the pleasure this week to talk to a young man, Pete Beck. Many of you remember Pete, right? He's taught in our Sunday school class, was our Sunday school teacher. And now he is a professor uh, at a Baptist university on the East Coast. Uh, we could go down the line of those. Nathan Mayfield, uh, you remember Nathan. He grew up in our church. One of the fondest stories I have of Nathan is that one of our deacons at an outing with the junior boys tied Nathan and another boy to a tree because they were so bad. Now Nathan is a pastor of a church in Louisville. Uh, and we could go on and on and on and on of those. God's in the business of calling out of this congregation individuals to follow him to lay their nets down, and to come and follow him. And one of those is a man who's been in our church as long as I've been here, for 25 years, Mike Laws. This morning, he's going to come and give his testimony to you, and then you as a congregation, my prayer will be, will affirm Mike Laws to be licensed to the gospel ministry. Mike, would you come now and share with the congregation? Good morning. This is a little different, different timeline of people being licensed to the ministry. I recognize that. Um, but I have been a Southern Baptist born and raised since I was about a month old. I was in a Southern Baptist church. So a bit of my early testimony. Um, I was saved when I was the age of nine. I was baptized in a little church in North St. Louis where my dad was the music director. My mom played the piano. It was a great thing. Um, except for when I got in trouble, everybody knew who I was. Um, but as I grew up in church and all the, all the youth things, fortunately I never had to get tied to a tree. So I guess that's, that's a good thing. Um, but God has allowed me to be used in different ways along, uh, along the way. And, um, in my previous church, one of my previous churches, I started getting involved with uh, youth ministry uh, as a layperson, and that seems to, to have stuck. I'm still doing that. I think it's because I don't want to grow up, but you know, that's another thing. Uh, but in the recent years, and probably the last four or five years, I've started to get receive uh, kind of a stirring in my heart, something different going on. and. I believe that, looking back on that, that that was a call that God had for me to be involved in vocational ministry, in the gospel ministry. Now, if I look back, you know, uh, in the past few years, I started seeing things in my life and in my work where they were out of my control and I had to depend on God. And I started to 
realize in a greater way that I'm not supposed to be in control. He is. And I, I had to learn how to rest in that security. But those pieces started coming together. Um, I had the opportunities to go on uh, mission trips uh, uh, internationally and, and locally. And I started seeing God at work in a much bigger perspective. Um, I started seeing people with, in different, uh, who spoke different languages. And I'm thinking, God is bigger than I even imagined that God was. When I, when I started hearing that, I started hearing people translating verses that I knew from Scripture into, into multiple languages and started realizing the, the, uh, the size of the God that I serve and that I try, was trying to serve. And as I, as I did that, I started feeling more and more gradually that God was calling me to something different. Um, I had the, uh, had some encouragement from staff members here at Parkway, from church members, from my family, to uh, begin training at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And during the three years that I was doing that, I started being drawn even more and more. As I studied the scripture, I started being drawn more and more toward uh, a service toward God. And God started speaking to me about, about serving him vocationally in the ministry. And I started recognizing that even though I thought God had to be kidding, if you thought I was supposed to be in the ministry, but I, I, I believe he started calling me gradually, uh, slowly and surely uh, toward that end. And I started recognizing this is really something that I should be doing. And I was, in a, I was in a career, as most of you know, I was in a career that was not ministry. I was in law enforcement. And I believe that many years ago, God led me to that. And how was I supposed to tell that I'm supposed to leave one thing to do another thing? And apparently, I wasn't getting it. So God did something that made it very clear to me. Um, I know in our society, a lot of people don't put a lot of stock in dreams, but a lot of people do. And I had a dream that I came down here at this church when I was still a police officer, um, and I saw myself in this dream walk down this aisle and take the police badge off, the belt of, uh, off my belt and lay it on this table. And I felt that that was a sign from God that it was okay to leave what he had chosen for me to do before and turn, turn myself over to him. Amen. And I don't know exactly what that looks like at this point. I don't, I don't know what God has in store for me for sure, but I believe he's calling me to serve him in a vocational way in the gospel ministry. And during this past four or five years, as I gradually were drawing closer and closer to him, as I studied and I, as I learned more, I believe for uh, truly that he is calling me in, um, into the gospel ministry, whatever that looks like, um, and whatever he has in mind, whether it be preaching, which I'm not sure that that's my forte because you, some of you have heard me preach and I'm not that great. Um, but it, it, could be as, uh, it could be something as, uh, like, I, like yesterday when I was sitting at someone's bedside holding their hand and praying. That, if that's what God has for me, then that's what God has for me. And at this point, I just want to follow him. So 
I believe God is calling me to the ministry, and so I submit myself to your consideration toward that end. Licensing. All right, what does that mean? That means that the congregation recognizes in my claw a call of service unto the Lord Jesus Christ. You recognize that as his congregation, as his family, as his friends. You have watched him. You know that at this present time, he also is serving in the area of our interim senior adult minister and our interim student minister. And so he is actively involved in ministry. So I would call upon Parkway Baptist Church, if you would affirm this call that Mike Laws has felt from the Lord and that we would move forward on licensing him, I would ask you to stand and say amen. Amen. You You want to say a word to the congregation? Thank you very much. I appreciate your support. Um, That's one thing that I I didn't mention, but I've received your support on numerous occasions over these past few years as I started struggling with my own uh, thoughts of questioning, inadequacies, whatever. And some of you have come to my rescue, you might say, uh, during those times. My uh, wife has done it. Some of you have come to me with words of encouragement at just the right time that that I needed that. And some uh, people have handed me scripture. Carol, I see you back there. You've handed me scripture on one of your little pieces of paper that was just the right thing at just the right time to support my, uh, this call and to uh, alleviate some of my thoughts of inadequacy. So thank you for your support. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. All right. Oh, what a glorious, uh, what a glorious morning it is as God speaks to Mike. Uh, Mike, uh, it is a blessing to be able to share with you this morning a sermon that's particularly for you. Now, it's for all of us, all right? Um, As you know, you can open your bulletins and take out the sermon summary, all right? And uh, if you'll do that now, just take out the sermon summary. And if you'll hold it up, and then as you hold it up, if you'll tear it in half, because that's not the sermon I'm going to preach this morning. <laughs> I, I, Mike, I worked on that sermon and worked on that sermon and got it in early so that Dale could type it. And then the more I thought about you, the more I thought I can't preach that sermon. Uh, in the 11th century, there was a king by the name of Henry III, Bavaria was his country, and he grew up in the court life. He became king as a young man, and the pressures of the monarchy began to press upon him. Uh, He got a nickname. His nickname was Poor Richard. And uh, it was because he seemed to weigh down by all of the responsibilities. He was a very religious individual, loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he wasn't going to be king, uh, the one thing he would love to have been was a monk. And so one day he went to the monastery. There he met the father and he talked with him about giving up the monarchy. 
literally abdicating and becoming a monk. He, he said, I, I want to give the rest of my life in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I want Christ to lead me. Well, the head monk said to him, Your Highness, can I tell you what to do? Well, the king at that point was ready for any word. He was ready to give up everything and follow Jesus Christ, to give up his riches, his fame, his throne, and to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what the head monk said to him, the abbot. Go back to your throne, serve faithfully in the palace where God has placed you. On his tombstone are written these words of King Henry of Bavaria. The king learned to rule by being obedient. Obedient unto the Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 16 verse 13. And again, I would share with you, please open your Bibles because there's not going to be anything on the screen this morning, all right? If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew. It's a red Bible. Every Bible ought to be read. And we would ask you to take that Bible home if you don't have a Bible. Luke chapter 16, just one verse. I didn't have time, Mike, to do more than just one verse, all right? Luke chapter 16, verse 13, and I would invite you to stand in honor of God's Word. Verse 13, Jesus says everything he wants to say. He gives to us all that we are, and he shares with us this. I desire for you to be my disciple, but I will take no half-disciples. Luke chapter 16, verse 13, the scripture says this. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and manna. Please be seated. Margaret Thasser was the Prime Minister of Great Britain. She had a great ability to be steadfast in the midst of crisis. The country could turn to Margaret Thatcher and know that she would not compromise, not only the issues, but her own integrity. She understood and recognized that that lack of integrity could hurt the nation and cause a great shame. And so she was a woman that would take a stand. Margaret Thatcher said this, Standing in the middle of the road is a very dangerous place to be because when you're in the middle of the road, you can get knocked down by the traffic from both sides. Now, sweet friends, what I want to share with you is this. Most people want just enough religion to get out of hell. And, and, and Mike, you need to understand that. That's why at Parkway Baptist Church, look around. What a great group, and, and God has been blessing us these last few weeks. Someone joining the church every Sunday. What a joy that is. But the fact of the matter is, half of the people who are members of this church are not here. Matter of fact, they've walked away. They're not probably going to anybody else's church. Where are they? The Bible is filled with commands given to us. But the command to be a disciple, what God has called us is this, that our lives must change. They must be in obedience to him. We must give ourselves totally. Now, Mike, whether you know it or not, that's what you just did. 
You just said to him, take all of me, Lord Jesus. Use me in every way. Jesus in our passage of Scripture warns us about half-hearted commitment to kingdom work. Uh, Life is a classroom. And the Lord God is teaching us every day. Dear friends, all of the difficulties you go through, all of the successes, all of the things that come into your life, God is in control of. God is moving and working. And why? Because this life is a classroom. And the ultimate result of that class study is this, that you be a disciple, that you be like your master, Jesus Christ. Our allegiance to Jesus identifies us as being followers of Christ. Okay, Pastor, what does that mean? Now, open your Bibles again. Luke chapter 16, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. That, that's the first. If you're going to follow Jesus, and, and that doesn't mean you're going to get licensed. It doesn't mean you're going to get ordained. But what it means is if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, if you're going to claim him as Lord and Savior, if he's going to be more than just fire insurance, then this is what you must be about. No man can serve two masters. All right? You can't. What that means is this. God requires in this classroom of discipleship that he have sovereignty, that he be Lord. Two kingdoms are spoken in this verse. Neither of them will accept divided loyalty. Now, friends, that's what Jesus said. No servant can serve two masters. Master, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? It means that Christ, Jesus, is our master. I just came back from the Missouri Baptist Convention. There, an African-American pastor shared a passage of Scripture. And in that, it talked about Jesus being Lord. And he, an African-American, said, that is the language of a master to a slave. And I think he knows more about that than I do. He is master. What does the word mean? It means the one person, now hear this, the one person I belong to. That's what the scripture says. It is a title of honor and respect. It speaks to us of who Jesus is. It means he has ultimate authority in my life. Another passage of Scripture that is just wonderful is 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. It says this, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, what, does that, what does that have to do about sovereignty, Pastor? Well, it has this. The, the, the Scripture says... Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The body is the place where we honor God through his spirit. Why live my life holy, righteous? Why not do things that the world does? Why not use my body for my own lust and my own pleasure? Because, sweet friends, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, the Master. Your Master lives inside of you. Your Master lives inside of you. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. Uh, Yesterday we had the grandchildren over, and one of them had a terrible dump. You know what I'm talking about? And the fact of the matter is, when that was done, the pastor had to clean his hands. 
Dear friends, we think we call him Lord. We say we're a Christian. And then we talk like a sailor. We live our life in such a way it's for us and our lust. And you can't have it that way. Is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have of God. He's my master. How did I get that Holy Spirit? God gave it to me. And you are not your own. You don't own yourself. Your life is his life. And he lives in and through you. Who bought you with a price. How did you get saved? Jesus died for you. You owe him a debt. For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your, here it is again, your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You belong to him. It's sovereignty. God must be the exclusive Lord of your life. He will not share our allegiance with anything else. That's what it means to be a Christian. The Lord Jesus Christ demands. In Matthew 6, 33, it says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Can I ask you something? I'm not talking about church attendance. In your life, priorities where is Jesus if you're a Christian the scripture says he's your master he's your Lord anybody know what the first word an 18 month to 2 year old says thank you dad I appreciate that but what's the second third word no why? Because you don't have to teach your children or your grandchildren to be sinners. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not my righteousness. The, the standard, Mike, is not your pastor. The standard is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I got news for you, I can't meet that righteousness. Only he can. A Christian cannot serve God part-time. Part-time. Mike, you're our interim and senior adults and student. And some would consider that part-time. But can I tell you the truth? There are no part-time positions in the ministry. In our economic climate, many people work two jobs. Some, a full-time job and a part-time job, or two full-time jobs, or two part-time jobs, or sometimes more than two jobs, just to make ends meet. For these individuals, they have more than one boss. Those bosses demand great things of them. Their time, their loyalty, it's split, it's shared. There are conflicts, and it's difficult. But sweet friend, as a Christian, you have one boss, one Lord, and his name is Jehovah. 
There's only one choice with God. In Exodus 22, the scripture says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Can I get down and dirty? What competes with Jesus in your life? Sweet sweet friends, please hear me. We got lots of people who are holding on to a fictitious certificate to get out of hell free. But they have never bent the knee to Jesus. He is not their Lord. And at the end times that we read the scripture that says, depart from me, I never knew you. But Jesus, I did great things for you. Is he Lord? Is he Lord of your tongue? Is he Lord of your thought processes? Is he Lord of the movies you go to see? Is he Lord of the television programs? Is he Lord of the computer? There are no such things, Mike, as part-time disciples, half-time disciples. There is a test of sovereignty. Now go back to the scripture. For either he will hate the one and love the other. There is the test of sovereignty, but there is also the test of devotion. The word that is used there is love. It means to be approved of. It means to like. It means to treat affectionately. It means to treat kindly. The sign of love is a what? Do we have any husbands here? When you want to show your wife that you love her, what do you do? Shake her hand? It's the idea of love there. And the word hate is a word that means to pursue anger, hatred, detest. And so the reference here is you'll either love, kind, kiss the one, or you'll hate with all of your heart. You'll strive for hatred. The love for God must be priority in all of life. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, the Scripture says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. That's what we're to do. That's what it means to sovereignly follow the Lord God. And that's what it means to give him our heart, our mind, our soul, and our spirit. Moses was directing his expression about obedience, conveying unto God our love. To obey God is to love God. Conversely, to love God is to obey God. John 14 23. You see, if I'm disobeying God, I'm not loving God. Pastor, I I know it's wrong. Pastor, I know I shouldn't be involved in that relationship. Pastor, I know I shouldn't talk like that. But that's just the way I am. To love God is to obey God. The expression of love here that is given to us in the passage of Scripture is not just a feeling. It's unqualified obedience. 
The command to love occurs not only in this passage of Scripture, but in Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy 10, 12, 11, 1, 13, 22, 13, 3, 19, 9, 36, and 16 and 20. And in the prayers of Daniel, he speaks about this kind of obedient love, and especially in Nehemiah 1, 5. The heart, soul, mind, might, strength. What are those? The heart in the Old Testament is translated the intellect, the will, the intelligence. It's not so much the seed of emotion as it is today. It's how I think. It's how I act. It's my intentions. And the soul, the soul is my inner self with all of my emotions, my desires, and my personal characteristics. Everything that makes Dwight, Dwight. And that's to be given to him. My mind, my will, my soul, and my strength. It's interesting, the Hebrew translation of that literally means with all of your very muchness. I just love that, with all of your very muchness. That means every bit of my physical strength is God's. I am to love God with my whole heart, with my whole soul, with everything in me. I am to totally commit myself and all of my energy to him. And that encompasses love for God. That's what the scripture says. Are we about that? Are we about that Parkway Baptist Church? And Jesus felt that was so important that he repeats it again in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, and in Luke chapter 10, verse 26. Heart, soul, mind, everything given to God in a love relationship with him that does not end. My love for God is superior in everything. It is sincere, and it is the strongest emotion in me. And that love for God cannot have a rival. It can't. It's a true fidelity. It means a commitment to God that has no end and is nurtured by everything inside of us. What you did this morning, Mike, was to give yourself totally to God. For either you will hate the one and love the other. Can I tell you what that means? If you love God, you'll hate sin. Now, that's hard. Because we got a sinful nature. We like to satisfy that sinful nature. But if you love sin, you'll dishonor God. It's as clear as that. Is that clear? You see, I've never proposed to Sherry of bringing a second wife into the home. And I pity those that do that where they miss the blessing of the love of a woman. Can I boil all of that down? It's not complicated. The scripture says this in Matthew 6, 21. 
Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That means do you treasure God? He's got to be sovereign. He's got to be sovereign. And there has to be inside of us a devotion to him. Go back to the scripture. Back to the scripture. Or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You see, the scripture says, loyalty to God no matter the cost. Loyalty to God no matter the cost. God will come to you and in this education that he has brought to you in this life, he will ask you to serve him. And that is his right. Uh, for a number of years, I had the privilege of not going to McDonald's. Children were raised, and I did not have to go to that restaurant. But when grandchildren came, that changed. We're talking about loyalty here. I don't know about you, but there are times when I have taken the grandchildren to McDonald's because this McDonald's has a playground and they can play, and I will buy them a Happy Meal, uh, to which then, Tony, we have to negotiate the toy, the toy they get they don't like, they want me to take it back, Papa, and get me another toy. So I've had a lot of negotiations with in McDonald's employees who are much younger than I am. Um, but the interesting thing is, I, I find many times that when we present the meal out, sometimes I don't get french fries. They're not the best thing for me, so I don't. So what I do is I figure, and again, complete allegiance, Mike, to God, uh, I will borrow a french fry from James or Joshua or Catherine. We're talking about loyalty here. But I found an interesting fact when I try to do that. When I reach over to take a french fry from their place and I take it, all of a sudden I have a little hand on my hand. And I hear a little voice say, Papa, don't take my fries. Now, let me give you the logical argument, all right? It's my life. I mean, I took the money out of my wallet I drove them in my car to the McDonald's. I got them out of their seat and on the ground and then held on to them tightly because they wanted to run out in front of traffic. I took them in. I got them seated. I took them to the restroom four or five times. My french fries. My life. You have no right, God. Are you a disciple? Are you a pretender? Do you clutch your get-out-of-hell card freely in your pocket? But don't you dare try to tell me what to do. Obedience. Or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. 
No matter the pain, no matter the difficulty, Lord, here am I. Here am I. It's an amazing thing to me. Yesterday at home, I was watching children and I got a telephone call. And a person on the other line of the phone that I did not know said to me, Dwight, I'd like to ask you if you would give. I don't know who that person is. But you see, it could have been someone calling me to buy Girl Scout cookies or maybe to sign up for the Walk for Life or as many telephone calls, it may have been someone asking me to vote for a politician. And yet we, in obedience to Christ, would never think about asking somebody to come and hear the gospel. Are we disciples? Are we comfortable sitting in our pews? How do people come to Christ? It's interesting, this, uh, this week at the Missouri Baptist Convention, how do people come to Christ? 85% of the people who come to Christ come because somebody invited them. They just don't stumble in. Obedient to Christ. Can I ask you a question? When was the last time you invited somebody to come and hear the gospel? Are we disciples? Are we disciples? Are we just enjoying the benefits? Or have we invited? And then the final test. Not only sovereignty, not only devotion, not only obedience, but service. You cannot serve God and mamma, our money. Dear friends, what this means is you can't walk in two directions at the same time. <laughs> Satan uses many things to tempt us. And for those who are saved, he uses many things to distract us. Money, possessions, sex, selfishness, materialism are just a bitterness and an anger and a resentment. But whatever it is, it sidetracks us. And, and we do not find ourselves serving Jesus. Several years ago, a group of people were brought at a study, probably at a university, and they were asked what they would do if they were given $10 million. And the proposals were were put before them. Would you do this if I gave you $10 million? The results were in a book, The Day America Told the Truth. In that, for $10 million out of that survey, 25% said they would totally abandon their family for $10 million. Totally just walk away from their family for $10 million. 23% said that they would become a prostitute for a week for $10 million. 16% indicated they would leave their spouse for $10 million. And 3% said that they would put up their children for adoption for $10 million. 
Just for some of you, the study is still not going on, okay? There are three things that money promises us. One is security. If I just had more money, I would feel secure. Luke 12, 9 says this, And I will say to you, my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And you remember what happened in that, don't you? That the person who said that died. You see, I've done lots of funerals. I'll do one tomorrow. And I've not seen one yet where in the casket or in the urn are all the material wealth that the person is taking with them. Money tells you that it will make you secure. It tells you it will make you sufficient. If I had more money, I would feel better about myself. I would feel more important. I would dress better, drive a nicer car. The reality is you're important not because of what owns you, but because God values you. And freedom. If I had more money, I'd be more free. I'd be able to do whatever I wanted to do. The difficulty with that is this. The more you have, the more what you have owns you. And the only one who can set you free is Jesus. He's the only one. And so, dear friends, it is a test of serving your master. For you cannot serve this life and the possessions it can give and serve God wholeheartedly. You've got to serve only him. And Jesus demands that of us. Total devotion to God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Some of you have watched the World Series. It's just been over. Can I take you back many years ago, 1988, to a World Series in which the Los Angeles Dodgers won the series, and there was a pitcher, Hershiser. Um, he pitched for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And the cameras, as you know, in the World Series are always on everything. Hershiser, the Dodgers were winning in the ninth inning of the last game. They, they knew they were going to win the series. And the camera went up and down the dugout of the Los Angeles Dodgers, but it keyed in on Earl Hershiser. He was leaning up against the back of the dugout, and he was saying something. Eyes closed and saying something. Don't know if he was talking to them. They didn't know what was going on, but they wanted to find out. After the series was over, Johnny Carson, Tonight Show, invited Hershiser to come upon his program. And that was one of the questions that Johnny Carson wanted to ask him. Uh, what were you saying in the dugout in the ninth inning? Just before it was all over, just before you won. Oh, nothing, Earl said. No, he responded. Well, no, tell us. What, what were you No, no, it wasn't anything. Finally, as you know in those shows, the audience got into that. 
And Earl Hershiser said, I was singing. Well, that just perked Johnny Carson's interest more. What were you singing? No, you, you really, really don't want to know. Uh, yeah, we do. No, I don't. Yeah, back and forth, back and forth. And finally, the Dodger pitcher said, this is what I was singing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Disciple, what's the song that you're singing? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask in these moments that truly, Lord, we would sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. For Heavenly Father, that's the song we are to sing as disciples. That's the song that the people are to hear from us, our wife, our husband, our children, our relatives, our friends, our neighbors. They're to hear a song in us despite the circumstances, whether the game is won or whether it is lost. They're to hear us sing praise unto God in His glory. For Heavenly Father, we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to you. And for that, we give you praise and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.